0: All right, before I get to my next guest, Scott Hamilton, I want to give another shout-out to our new sponsor, the Macklemore. The Mountain McLemore mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic Macklemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themacclemore.com or give them a call at 800- three two nine eight one five four. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tea is Scott Hamilton. Let me give you some background on Scott. He's from Carthage, Missouri. He joined the PGA of America back in nineteen eighty nine. Started out his career as an assistant pro at Harbortown Golf Links in Hilton Head. In nineteen ninety three he moved over to Hague Point designed by our good friend Reese Jones. In nineteen ninety three he became the head golf professional at Cartersville Country Club, which is just a few minutes north of me here in Atlanta. Scott has been named one of the top 100 instructors in the game by Golf Magazine every year since 2015. He's also been recognized as one of the top instructors by Golf Digest. He was 26th on their list this year. Scott works with several players out on the PGA Tour, including guys like Boo Weekly, Chris Kirk, Aaron Baddeley, Brendan Todd, Harris English, Joe Durant, and Hudson Swafford. In 2017, Scott was named the PGA of America Georgia Section Teacher of the Year. And in 2015, he was selected as the number two coach on the tour by the PGA Tour players. And I'm thrilled to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing, man? Well, I'm Can fantastic. How are you? How are things going for you? Oh,
1: oh, good. Just kind of been working a lot with this Corona deal. I've got a lot of people coming in town, so not traveling much, but working, working a lot here at the house.
0: To that point when you when you are sort of in in this sort of lockdown mode th- th- do things change for you Scott there's a way that you have to do instruction i mean most of the folks that i talk to that are that are teaching the game are very hands on it's moving the hands around and the grip it's it's touching the the shoulders or the hips or the head does it change now
1: you know, I've never been that touchy feely of an instructor, so it really hadn't affected me much. You know, I might reach down and grab the shaft every once in a while and pull it around or something, but I'm I'm normally not somebody that's up there moving your body around that much. It doesn't. I never really thought I got much out of that when I ever did that to people.
0: So, Scott, with with the with the state starting to open up, Georgia's been open now for almost a month, I guess at this point. Um, you starting to see people at the at the country club come back and play. Is, is play starting to pick up out of Cartersville Country Club, and our players starting to fill up your uh whether it's uh the practice tee or starting to fill up your tee schedule?
1: You know, it's interesting. My little club, I've been there since I said in the intro since '93. Our club never closed down, and we never closed the range. I mean, we you know obviously single player per cart close the clubhouse down you'd have to go knock on the door to get a cocktail or some lunch or something but you know we averaged about i don't know 10 12, rounds a year and i mean we've probably already played more rounds this year we have absolutely been slammed we we had to go out you know our cart fleet was i don't know 65 or something we had to go get another 10 or 11 golf carts just to handle the flow. So, I mean, we've literally been slammed since this thing started, just because it was the only thing to do. I think we've sold three or four memberships during this corona thing just because people are – it's the only thing you could do outside. So, you know, our play has never backed off. We were never closed one day, so unlike a lot of places, you know.
0: Scott, I got to get a story from you because it was hard for me to believe it when I was doing the research on on you. And and I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but for my audience who may not have heard it, back in 2010 during the PGA's Pro Assistant Tournament at uh, Cherokee Town and Country Club, you made not one, but two holes in one in the same (laughs) round on the fourth and the 14th holes. And I read that the odds on that are... 67
1: million to one Take yeah us back to what that, that was like uh you know it was, stupid. It was you know i always laugh i like that's really what i wasted my powerball went on with that thing you know but <laughs> uh you know I was just, it was a uh, some kind of pro pro tournament and i was playing with uh i think my head pro or sister pro then and You know, I've always been a pretty good iron player. I think I've had like eight or nine hole-in-ones, but, you know, the first hole was a pretty short little hole, and I just kind of hit it in there and skipped it in the hole. But the second one was legit, I think, and I hit like a five or six iron in there. But, you know, I just hit two straight shots, and they both went in. That's crazy. I think the purse, you know, typical club pro deal, I won all the skins that day, like every skin and I think I won a couple thousand dollars in skins. And I think the first place in the thing might have been a thousand bucks with the team splitting it or something. So <laughs> unbelievable, yeah, crazy.
0: So with that amount of money and two hole in ones, I'm I'm imagining drinks were on you pretty heavily that day.
1: You know, the uh, the lucky thing about that is that open bar after the tournament it didn't cost me.
0: Five. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, good for you. Scott, I want to talk about some of the guys that you're working with out on tour. And one of them is, is Aaron Baddeley. And, and Aaron's a guy who was at the very top of the game from probably 2006 to 2011 and sort of went through a lull for a few seasons, but really seems to have gotten his game back in form. Last year was a, was a really good year for him. Talk about what you've been working on with Aaron that's been able to get him back on track.
1: Well, the interesting thing is I heard that preview i I really don't teach many of those guys. I haven't taught Aaron in oh uh, two a couple of years now uh you know, and that's the problem with like my website. I don't ever update it. I normally just do instagram but yeah i I did teach Aaron back and kind of got him back. He'd lost his card. And the, the last year he won was the year that I taught him when he won the Alabama term. I think he had six or seven top tens that year. And he just, and I'm really still really good friends with Aaron, but I haven't taught him in a couple of years. It was, it was kind of, I'll go through my list of who I'm teaching now to see, maybe you can ask about some of those guys. So I pulled up the sheet here. I, I still teach Joe Durant. I teach Matt Every, Tom Hogue, uh, Chris Kirk, Hank Lebiotti, Trey Molnacks. Stallings, Scott Stallings, Hudson Swofford, Peter Uline, Boo. So those are the main guys that I'm teaching right now. I teach uh, Jane Park on the LPGA, Brooke Pancake, who's been on maternity leave for a couple of years. She's just had a couple of children over the last couple of years. Uh, uh, I teach Oh, Jillian Hollis, that's a rookie on the LPGA this year. And then I teach some corn carry guys, and I teach uh, JT Griffith, out of Atlanta that played at Tech, and uh, I'm not sure who else I got on the corn prairie right now, but those are the main guys that I, I haven't taught Aaron in a couple of years, to be honest with you. So.
0: Well, talk about Joe Durant. Joe D is a guy that you know I've been following for, for several years, and um, uh, you know, I, when he's played here in Atlanta, when he's been over at Augusta National, I've walked some of the practice rounds. With Joe D, he's a guy that uh, had a near miss here at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic, you know, finished tied for second behind Scott McCarron last year. Talk about what you're doing with him.
1: Uh, You know, the thing about Joe D, I started helping him when he was, you know, when the guys when they're like 47 or 8 get get to go play, I think he was 48, they get to go play on the web again. It was the web then, I think. And he and he and Boo Weekly are cousins somewhere or another. So, you know, what was interesting about Joe was, I mean, anybody that knows Joe, he's the most gracious guy in the world. Like I absolutely love Joe Durant. And, uh, he, he ran into me. I think we're in Mississippi somewhere or something. He goes, I emailed you on your website to see if I could get a lesson. I'm like, Oh my God, like get the phone number from Boo. Like I never looked at that stuff that much, you know? But I started teaching him then, and, and he got a tour card one more year after that, got exempt through the through the web. Then he went back, and, you know, then he turned 50. Then he just went out and played on the senior tour the bulk of the time. And, you know, he's had a great career. He's like a boo. You know, he's such a tremendous ball striker. Uh, and, you know, with him, it was some basic stuff. Like, he had the club two vertical going back, and we just shallowed him out. And he kind of – we do the same thing. The thing is when you teach the, some of the best players in the world, it's really you're more calibrating those guys than you're teaching them all the time. And with Joe, what we try to do with him is just trying to keep him in the same shape. You know, the guy is such a good ball striker; He'll get a little steep and get the club going across the ball, kind of get his pelvis working in underneath him. And, you know, we'll do a couple little adjustments to him and he's back off to the races. But, I mean, the guy's a legendary driver of the golf ball, And, uh... The one thing I think I probably helped Joe with the most, we were down in New Orleans when he had his tour card the last time. and Anybody that knows anything about Joe knows he's an unbelievable ball striker. And always kind of struggled with his putting similar to Boo. And in New Orleans, I'm like, and this is years ago, I'm like, Joe, go get one putter, like a two-ball putter, putt cross-handed, and don't change one thing for like three months, and let's see what happens. And after he did that, because he was the same guy, different putter every week, different setup every week, cross-handed, you know, regular grip. And once he kind of settled in and just in hunkered down on the cross-handed with the two ball, he was off to the races. with. And a guy that hits it that good really doesn't have to putt that great, you know. And he really putted good. A couple of years ago on the senior tour or the champions tour, I was sitting in the clubhouse and, they were ran the strokes game putting in the senior tour up and he was leading. I picked my phone up immediately and called him. Oh my God, you are leading the strokes game. And in typical Joe fashion, he first replied to me was, well, that tells you how bad they putt out here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah. Guy, he's a, he's if, as you mentioned, you're, you're only calibrating those guys to, to me. Like when I think about, you know, someone playing that plays at the level that I do and I'm somewhere, you know, 12, 13 handicap, you know, for, for someone like me, a, a, uh, an adjustment can have a huge impact on my game for, for the guys yeah. out on tour and the ladies out on tour, it's gotta be just such a fine line. I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of like going from, you know, I, I think about it, you know, from a quality measurement, like, you know, five Sigma, five Sigma to six Sigma is hard to do because it's you gotta be so precise you know to go from zero to three, well you can change a lot of things and get that kind of you know improvement and like yeah. for for amateurs like me, little to or you know tweaks can have a huge impact. I could save a ton of strokes those guys well, you just gotta be fine tuning
1: yeah i mean I, I laugh all the time whenever you know I tell people all the time I'm standing in a tour event and they got the the rope or the fence back there, and there's all the people standing around watching. You know, I'm standing up there like I'm really telling them something. And I'm probably telling them something so basic, like, hey, man, you're lined up to the right here. Or the ball's too far back. Or, you know, you got your butt over your heels a little bit too much. It's not, I mean, it's such fine line. And the thing is, the beauty of, like, teaching guys after you teach them for quite a while, you kind of know what their, their Achilles heel is. So you always kind of jump in on that. There's one or two adjustments that you always make on them. And that's really it, you know if they get played a bunch of wind or they you know play different- con- ter- turf conditions, they'll you know kind of get their setup messed up and you just adjust them back to kind of their their baseline. The beauty now is like I have uh up in my studio in Carter's Rug, an indoor studio that I have a what's called an opti tracker a gears three d and what I really love to do with it is I use it for two two situations like I get somebody here the first time that struggling, I'll get him on there and see what's kinda of out of swords. But the best thing to use it for is like I had Hudson Swalford up here a couple days ago and he's absolutely striping it right now. So I got a three D capture of him so when he gets off, I can throw him in there and see exactly what's off instead of guessing. You know, is the spine tilted one way more than it was before, is pelvis height the same? Do you have the same knee bends? as the you know, is the grip the same coming in there the same way that it came in before? So there is some advantages in the technology now that, that really help you keep a guy in line.
0: And Scott, let's let's talk about the mental game because I imagine at that level, that's very important. It's a, it's a huge part of the game that, you know, we all seem to struggle with. I was talking to Dave Stockton Jr., you know, previously right before you came on. And one of the things you talk about is, you know, the, the negative thoughts start to creep in your head if you're over the ball too long. Talk about, you know, working with those guys from a mental uh, perspective. You
1: know, the thing is, it, it's kind of the X factor. And, you know, there's I t- teach a lot of really good Division One golfers and then, you know, guys that are miniature guys, and, you know, corn prairie guys. And the kind of the X factor is hard to put your finger on is when, when people have the ability to train on a driving range and then go from the driving range and use the best of it they have and not freak out about it. So like the guy that stands on the range and hits balls five and five and six hours a day and looking for perfect, that guy's probably not going to be a PGA tour player. It's like Aaron Badley was a perfect example when I got helping him and you know, he just got driving a little bit better. It was great for him. He wasn't looking for perfect. He was looking to be somewhere in the fairway or the first cut, you know? So it, it's, it's kind of how, and it's really hard to put your finger on. I've had this conversation a bunch with, especially young up and comers about, you know, what it takes to be a tour player. And it's really how you handle the miss hit and how bad your miss hit is. And I, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things I tell people is I don't care about the best shots you hit. My job is to help you with the worst shot you hit. It's playable. So what, what really good tour coaches are trying to do is they're trying to make a guy's miss narrow enough. They can continue to play and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make them make a double.
0: So to that end, because you're right, we we get obsessed with being as perfect as we can, but it is sort of managing our misses. I think you, you hear, we, I hear that a lot. How, how, how well do you manage your misses? So when you're working with a tour player and they start to get a little awry with where, where they're spraying the ball and it's not a real nice tight pattern. How do you help them manage the misses, not only from the swing perspective but from the mental side? Uh,
1: you know, with me, it's way more way more fix the swing to help the mental. You know, it's like the sports psychologists of the world. And there's definitely use for those guys out on tour. I'm not knocking them, but you can't fake confidence, man. It's like you can have the greatest sports psychology routine in the world but if you're hitting it in the tree you're going to lose confidence uh and it's just about you know if if you can give guys a little you know the best thing is like that if, if you've ever read any of those books about that john Wooden guy who was the great basketball coach he's trying to what he's trying to do and what instructors are trying to do is they are really good at what they do they give you the most information with the least amount of words so it's not complicated so if you can take things and give guys real simple little deals not a lot because the the tour golf swing lasts about 0.9 if you can give them real small little exact details that they can put in there and make adjustments then they can move on forward but if it's these big like When you look at a lot of this information on the Instagram of these instructors, and they're trying to give you in depth information in a small period of time, but it's always so complicated, you can't, you got 0.96 of a second. You don't have enough time to do a whole bunch or try to move the club a certain way by doing certain things. It's really you got to make micro adjustments that when the club comes out of there, it just goes in the right spot for that player. There's, different, there's, a, there's really kind of two schools of instruction. There's guys that, that have like a certain pattern they really like, you know, and I mean, if you, if, you know, people that are golf kind of nuts are probably watching on Instagram. Like there's a lot of this deep face, deep lead arm, a lot of flexion in the lead wrist, golf swing that's super popular They're online now, but that doesn't fit everybody's pattern. So, you know, I'm not that kind of instructor because Chris Kirk and Boo Weekly swing at the golf ball completely different, and they're both great golfers. Trey Molinax is way different than Scott Stallings. It's different than – so what I try to do is I try to take guys that are already – and luckily I'm at a point now where most of the tour guys I teach, I didn't raise them from college to send them out the to tour. Like the, the Hank that I teach, now I started teach him in college, and he's on tour. And Jillian Hollis, I started teaching her in college and helped her get the tour. But the average guy is somebody more like a, a Trey Molinax, where I'm just trying to take what is a really good pattern, because he's out there, he's one of the best players in the world, and I'm just trying to clean it up a little bit to make it more efficient, to make him have a narrower miss, which gives them confidence. A narrow miss, a one-way miss, gives tour players confidence. Ninety-eight, 99% of them want to miss it to the right. Right-handed golfers—they want to hit a push out to the right. Is
0: that right? Why? Uh, because a
1: a pull is a shut face, and they're hot and they go far. And if you've been to many PGA Tour events, long left of a PGA Tour green, it's not a good place to be. Short right's way better than long left.
0: One of the things that you have some you have some really great videos that are available out on YouTube, and I was I was taking a look at several of them. I want to get you to share a couple of tips for our listeners tonight, and one of them is around how to get the club in the right place so we're swinging on the right plane. Talk about how we can make sure we're doing that
1: well i mean there's i'm a I'm an elbow plane guy that's kinda one of the first guys i ever i took a, whenever I got to be a club pro as a kid, you know I called myself a kid I was in my early twenties and I made a list of stuff I thought was important to be a good head pro. One of them was instruction. I was a mediocre, decent club pro player, so I wanted to be better myself. So I went on this journey of going up and down Hilton Head Island, paying these guys to get golf lessons. And I just kept leaving the golf lesson. You know, well, that wasn't much. You know, I'll go do it for a day or two. It was nothing that I'd sink my teeth into, and I'd be like, that makes sense to me, you know. So a friend of mine that played it, Clemson, and his name was Oswald Roddy, told me about a guy in Atlanta, and I was still on Hilton Head, so I rode up here to George Killinghofer's, and he was a golf machine guy that taught on the elbow plane. I had a couple lessons from him, but the main thing I learned about from George more than anything was elbow plane. And then, you know, if you teach on the elbow plane, you kind of set your camera up a certain way, and you have the same view every time how the club goes around you. So with me, why playing is so important is because it's a couple reasons, but one of the main reasons is most golf shops on the PJ Tour, or a lot of them are off-speed golf shops because you don't get perfect numbers all the time. Well, I always feel like if a guy, when they have the club and it flips vertical, so when their lead arm's parallel with the ground on the backswing, the shaft flips up vertical, if the club is on plane at that point, you don't have to make any adjustments. To swing it down and get it back on plane so you can make abbreviated backswings and the club is relatively, you know, with good hand actions, relatively going to point down the target line. But if you're, if the club's way behind you or the club's way in front of you and you make an abbreviated backswing, it's way behind you and you abbreviate your backswing, you're probably going to push it out to the right because you're under the plane a bunch. If it's it's way out in front of you, you're probably going to hit pulls, you know, on your off-speed wedge shots or your little dinky shots. So, That's why I kind of teach, or that's why I've always taught that way. Just because I have a belief that you got to set people up to hit off-speed shots. You you know, I mean, if you hit your, you know, the tour guy hits an eight iron 165 yards. I mean, you're going to get one of those a week. The rest of the time, you're going to have 158 or 55 or you know 61. Or so I want a guide. I want people to have the ability to take speed off the ball in the easiest possible way. Uh, so, you know, the line, what I do is I set a camera up that's hands high and I look through the grip into the, into the target and I draw a line from the neck of the club or the, the hosel of the club up to the bottom of the elbow. Because that's, you know, when you're on the downswing, it's in of the force, your arms are going to straighten out and that's where they straighten out your elbow. So that might be a little complicated for a podcast, but, uh, that's the basis of what I. Do what I teach. And there's variations of that. I got guys that are a little above it, a little below it, and there's reasons I do that. But basically, that's kind of what most, if you look on my Instagram, that's what most of my players look like whenever they swing the club back. But when their left arm's parallel to the ground, if you draw a line down the shaft, it points at the ball.
0: Scott, let's also talk a little bit about the short game. A couple of the shots that uh, strike fear into a lot of wee amateurs, is going to be the one when we're in the bunker and we're short-sighted to the pin, or we've got a uh, an uphill green, and now we're down at the bottom of the hill and we've short-sighted ourselves. So that sort of high, soft pitch shot or the high, soft sand shot is really difficult for us to pull off. How can we hit that shot better?
1: Uh, the number one thing I would tell, like, if I get a kid down there, you know, if I get a 12-year-old kid, and, you know, the only shot, wedge shot he really has is the back footed lean the shaft forward, kind of stand on your left foot, and hit down on it. The first thing I'll do to him is I'll get them out there, and give him a real strong grip and make them cup their left wrist and stand around and learn how to hit the back of the golf club, the bounce. There's zero leading edge, zero leading edge, learn, teach him how to stand out there and whack the bounce into the ground. And teach them that if you hit the bounce on the ground, you don't take a divot and it kicks a club out of the ground. Well, that's basically what a bunker shot is. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to hit bunker shots, you know, but the best, the best bunker short game guys in the world, a lot of times they're Australians. Those guys line up square. They, they swing the club around on plane. It's a lower plane because they're normally hold the handle lower and then they know how to use the bounce. Or in other words, whenever the club comes into the ball, the shaft's not leaned way forward. It's more straight up and down. And that's kind of how you whack the bounce, and that's how you add tons pump dynamic wall. So once I kind of teach somebody how to do that, then I'll just go, there's a lot of options if you swing the club. If you get square to it, swing the club around on a on a lower plane. You know how to take forward lean out of it. Then you can put the ball back. You can put it up. That'll make it go higher and lower, or you can move farther away from it, which lowers the handle, which makes it go higher. Or you can stand in there and then try to get the grip farther back behind the ball impact, and that makes it go higher. So the easiest way, like if I take, an, a, you know, an amateur and they can't hit a bunker shot at all, the first thing I'll do is exactly what I said. Get them
0: st-
1: put pretty strong left-hand grip, feel your left wrist really cut at a draft, and never lose that cuff until what it feels like to whack the back of the bounce into the ground.
0: Well, Scott, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and, and see you about getting lessons or follow you on Instagram or uh, over on Twitter?
1: Yeah, the, really the only thing I do now is Instagram. Just It's better for me. I'm dyslexic, so I can't spell very well, so I'm better with pictures. But my Instagram is Scott Hamilton Golf. It's just at Scott Hamilton Golf on Instagram. That's the thing that I keep current, put stuff on all the time. I really have got to make a point of fixing my website at some point, but you know, the, I really, I'm not really marketing to teach people. So I mostly just teach tour people. So I've kind of laid off that thing, but I need to get back on it just to clean it up for situations like this. But my well, website is Scott Hamilton Golf, yeah.
0: Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to to come and be a part of the show. I feel like there's a ton to learn from you. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime.
1: Yeah, and thanks for having me. Enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed the the day to too. The, I pulled his Instagram up and looked at those greens. They're incredible looking.
0: Yeah, and I'm
1: telling you. They that's are crazy, something. isn't it? So, the, all that white <laughs> yes, in there is not even sand. It's just white grass. I don't know where the bunkers are. That's right. Oh, it looks so cool. Yeah. yeah super yeah, cool. It does. People need to check that out. It's super neat. Yeah.
0: Well, Scott, take care, my friend. Uh, all the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: All right. See you, buddy. Bye.
0: See you, Scott. That's Scott Hamilton. That's Scott Hamilton Golf on Instagram is where you can find him. I feel like we've just barely touched the tip of the iceberg with all the things that we can learn from Scott. So look forward to getting him back on the show again soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Dave Stockton Jr., and to Scott Hamilton as well for joining me tonight. Please check out our website next on the to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. You can stream this show as a podcast all over the net. We're on podcast.co, Apple podcast, Google podcast, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom and Player.fm as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content until next week. Hit him straight, my friend.